Hey tennis fans and welcome to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis and we are the official podcast of Tennis Canada, also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We do have the week off here, but we thought we would look back at one of our interviews from last year. Andy Roddick was set to compete at the Invesco Series in Toronto before we spoke to him and the former world number one shared thoughts on his game now, memories of his career playing in Canada, facing the big three, and much more. Hope you enjoy. I am thrilled for this week's episode as we have a guest who is absolutely one of my favorites to watch compete when uh, I was watching tennis as a teenager, Mike. I don't know about you, but uh, we have a very special episode 18 lined up. I, I wish I could say I was still a teenager back then, Ben, but uh, definitely a player I enjoyed watching. And uh, in fact, the first player I ever asked a question to in a press conference back in 2008 in uh, Washington, D.C. I might even tell you how that went later in the show. But uh, Andy Roddick, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. As I try the mental Rolodex of me potentially being rude to a first-time journalist at an ATP event, I'm sorry in advance if I did something <laughs> terrible. No, you know what? It was, it was kind of like my initiation. I actually felt uh, like it was a badge of honor to wear afterwards that I survived <laughs> a, a grilling from uh, Andy Roddick, so don't even worry about it. Yeah, I've never understood why why uh, why the press is the only person allowed to ask questions or make statements. You know, I feel like it should be an even an, an even deal. It it started well. I started strong, and then I felt like, hey, maybe I can throw in an off the cuff uh, second question. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't kind of uh, land and and hit the mark. So you uh, you called me on it, rightly so. And uh, ever since then, I've I've been more prepared as I enter uh, the press room. <laughs> Well, good. I, I, I apologize, but I'm glad it's turned out okay, and hopefully yeah. we can bury all, bury all hatchets. Yeah, well, I'm still doing tennis, uh, what, 11 years later, so I guess it worked out. Um, lots of Toronto listeners here who are uh, excited for your uh, return to Canada, return to Toronto this week for the Invesco Series event. Can you tell them uh, what can they expect from the four of you on Thursday night? And uh, between you guys, which player maybe takes this, uh, you know, the most seriously uh, between you guys? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we, we, we still want to go out there. I think we still have uh, an ego about wanting to play well. I think the, the result probably matters a little bit less than it used to. I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we've moved on, uh, a lot of us at least, to, uh, no, I know Robbie hasn't yet, but uh, to, to fatherhood and some, some kind of different things. But, yeah, I mean, I think you always have an ego uh, about trying to play well. I think it's, uh, it's an opportunity for us to be a lot more interactive you know, with, with the crowd, we, we want uh, crowd participation. We will not get pissed if someone's walking around during a match and getting involved and yelling. Like it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more interactive than, than when, when we were on tour. And it was uh, frankly a pretty, pretty selfish existence. Um, you know, so listen, we, I think we all still uh, feel like we're lucky to be able to get out there and, and uh, to have people actually want to spend uh, an evening watching us still. And so that's not lost on us. For those who aren't familiar, it's going to be an All-American affair. The first match is between Jim Courier and James Blake at 7 o'clock, followed by uh, Andy against Robbie Ginepri at 8, and then a finals at 9 p.m. Andy, what part of your game would you say has kind of stood the test of time since you retired seven years ago, and what part is the, uh, the hardest one to keep up? It's amazing that you still think there's a part that's held up. <laughs> my mistake. Sorry about that. Uh, the, the, when when my shoulder's in shape, I, I can still serve a little bit. Um, my back end's actually probably the same. I mean, it wasn't very good on tour, but for you know old man tennis, it's not bad. It, it might have gotten a little bit better. Um, 
the forehand for me is the, is the hardest one. Um, I, I've lost a bit of, uh, of the wrist, right? That kind of mechanism that makes you be able to kind of turn the ball over and create different spins and uh, kind of fire it on the run. And that's, that's the hardest part um, when you're not kind of playing uh, super often. That, that, that kind of fire on the forehand is, is, is something that I, that I struggle with sometimes now. And, and Andy, I'm just looking back at your career, and you must have pretty fond memories uh, of Canada that stretched there 2002 through 2004. You had a pair of finals in Toronto. You had the Masters 1000 win in Montreal. What do you remember from those years of playing in Canada, and, and how fun is it to be coming back uh, to do these types of Champions Nights in, in Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of great years. Even even before the, the years you mentioned, I remember in in 2001, um, I, I feel like in Montreal, I, I, I might have barely gotten into my own ranking for the first time, and I had my first win over a, a world number one in Gustavo Quirtin. Uh So that was a huge milestone. And then in 02, the final you mentioned, I, I became, uh, I think I passed a couple of my heroes in the rankings um, with, uh, with uh, Pete and, you know, kind of was flirting with the number one American. And so that was, that was crazy for me. Um, you know, I remember kind of that day where I, you know, became the number one American for the first time. And that was, that was nuts. Um, the win in 03, um, you know, it was the, it was, uh, it was the start of the space between wins against Roger. <laughs> I, I beat, I beat him there. And then I, I waited a little while before I decided to do it again. Um, but uh, it was just great. And you know, the, the, the fans are amazing. And it was, it was fun to kind of go back and forth between the two cities. That was, uh, you know, it didn't happen anywhere else uh, with, uh, with, with the Master Series events. So, um, you know, I, I always felt lucky to, to, to be able to go up there, and it was, uh, it, it was a great time. And um, especially early in my career, I, I, I tended to play pretty well up there. Uh, and for our listeners, coming Thursday night in Vesco Series, Andy Roddick will be competing uh, along with James Blake, Jim Courier, and Robbie Ginepri. Uh, I know from when I watch you as a player, uh, many people think of the serve and your huge forehand. I always just really admired your competitive spirit and your drive. Now, I, I know these Invesco Series nights, you guys love to have fun, but uh, do, do you still feel like you have that inner drive of competition sometimes when you're stepping on court or maybe even as a fan when you're watching? Do you ever get that inkling or that drive to, to really get out there and, and compete that way that you did? Oh, man, I, I, I know the answer I'm supposed to say. <laughs> There's um, no answer you're supposed to say. It's okay. But, but honestly, like I, when I was playing, I was, uh, I was probably pretty tough to be around. I was, you know, very, very focused. I, I worked all the time. Um, you know, if it wasn't tennis, it was fitness. If it wasn't fitness, it was nutrition. If it wasn't nutrition, it was getting treatment. And I, I was, I was very inward looking. Um, when I retired, it changed very quickly. Um, you know, so, so am I, is my not going to be ruined if it doesn't go my way? No. Do I want to play well because it's super fun to still play well? Uh, and it's not a given um, anymore. Um, yeah, but you know, I I, I don't think you're going to see uh, <laughs> outburst. Or, you know, I, I'm probably not going to be upset with any question you might ask afterwards. Or you know, it it, it 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 certainly doesn't dictate the terms of my day anymore. So you're not handling these events as competitively as Johnny Mac still does at the age of sixty, I guess. <laughs> well, we talk about it a lot, and it's like I, I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see sometime. I'm like, man, I cannot believe. 
and he's upset. I mean, I was <laughs> for the first probably four years I was off tour, um, maybe five years. I, I felt like it was a choice for me not to be, you know, not to be playing and not to be, you know, not competing for slams, but at least competing to win some tour events. And um, I could still play pretty well. Uh, and and I beat Mac, and he would, you know, not say anything for the rest of the night. And he was he would just get really upset, and like he took it. And for me, I'm like, it's this weird divide between that. I guess that's not the way I tick anymore. And this like kind of weird respect that that's why he was the way he was. That's why he was great. And that's, you know, he's kind of still ticks that way. It still bothers him. So there's equal parts judgment and admiration for, for how seriously he still takes this. Uh, we uh, we love watching uh, you know all the all the fresh faces these days kind of emerge on the ATP tour. Although it's still sort of the big three uh, of Rafa, Fed, and Djokovic who have the complete uh, stranglehold with all the Grand Slam titles. But are there any of those younger names, maybe the the Medvedevs or Tsitsipasas, or are there any of that young crop of players that maybe you do see a bit of yourself in in, in terms of how they they handle and carry themselves and how they compete? Well, I, I I I like Medvedev. I think I identify a little bit with with Medvedev because he looks kind of ugly when he plays. <laughs> it's not something that's su- it's not something that's super appealing. He kind of shovels the backhand around, and but he he competes. You know, he's going to be there till the end. He wins the matches he's supposed to win, um, and and that's kind of something I took pride in. There, there there seems to be a yeah. I think there's probably a little bit of a talent divide between him and someone like Rafa. Um, and he's just trying to figure out how to trim the margins. So I can certainly relate to what to what he's going through. And you know, uh, I, I also kind of get that. You know, we've we've heard Sitsipas for a while, we've heard Shapovalov for a while, and we've heard kind of all these flashy names and who are fun to watch and who are kind of human highlight reels. And then all of a sudden, Medvedev comes along and kind of surpasses all of them in 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 a, in a span of months. Um, I, I felt like I dealt with that. You know, there there were guys who were amazing players, like a Gasquet, and like in in. Uh, I felt like they got a lot of love from from kind of the tennis heads, where I was just kind of chucking it in the court and 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 trying to hold serve and find a way. And so, uh, I, if there's someone I could relate to, it's probably Medvedev, and I, I certainly enjoyed his run at the U.S. Open. It was it was really cool, and I was I I was at the stadium, and I had done probably four or five days of of, of kind of corporate stuff on site and so uh you know two sets to rafa i i hit the exit door um i headed into the city had some dinner with my friends i got to the dinner and they go medvedev won the set and he's up a break in the fourth i go is this like rafa can't lose from two sets two sets up that's it's like an impossibility this this the stat that i was repeating ad nauseum during that week was that rafa is something like 239 and five when he's won the first set in a grand slam match it's some just ridiculous stat and so i'm like is he is this guy gonna like break that i mean is that, it, it was it was crazy and i thought it was great tennis it was great for the sport and um you know i i, I kind of secretly cheer for him because uh, i feel like he might have been overlooked uh you know for the for kind of the flashier players it was kind of neat too to see him go from sort of pseudo villain earlier in the event to being really embraced by that new york crowd afterwards especially with his post-match comments uh, after after falling to nadal in that fifth set you know, it's there's there's room for honesty, and it doesn't always have to be the the pretty version of it. You know, it, it you know it, what he did was early in the tournament. He felt it. He was getting booed. He was it it upset him. He was like, "I'm gonna win in spite of you, and I might win just because of you." And 
he didn't shy away from it. I kind of like that. You know, sports is like the best reality show of all time. There's no script. You just, you, you, you kind of roll them out there and you see what happens. And, uh, the, the non-negotiable thing for a New York crowd is effort. And, you know, they, they want to see you trying. They want to see you dig in. So he won them over over the course of that tournament. You know, they, they, they value kind of that sheer determination and will maybe more than an unfortunate soundbite. And, frankly, I, I didn't think it was that unfortunate. I kind of think there's room for a bit of a, a heel in, in, in tennis and, and a heel that actually, you know, tries all the time. So, so that's the heel. I got to ask you about another player on tour who, you know, when you speak about honesty and then entertainment, maybe we don't always get the effort, but Nick Kyrgios is certainly one of those figures that has the potential to really bring a new fans, I think, to the sport. And yet he seems to constantly be putting his foot in his mouth at inopportune times as well. Hasn't maybe yet found that balancing act between the fans, the media and, and on court, uh, you know, performance. What's your take on Nick and what potential he has uh, for the sport of tennis? Well, the, the sport of tennis is going to need someone like him at, at a certain point. Um, there's going to be uh, a vacuum as far as the business side, especially in the men's game, when Rafa and Roger and Novak kind of go on their way. They need someone with that, that, that crossover type appeal, and, and Nick's kind of the obvious candidate for that. But uh, for me, it's just tough because, like, I just want to see someone try all the time. And I don't feel like that's too much to ask. And I don't feel, you know, like you can be a victim if that's what's being asked of you as a, as a professional, um, you know, and then I listen sometimes and it's, it's, he's like, I, well, I just don't want all this attention. I don't care, you know, all this, but then you cater to a social media following. So that would suggest that you actually like that uh, attention and you kind of create that attention and, you know, you retweet videos of yourself going nuts. And so, for me, I just need a little more clarity about what's what's preferred from him. And uh, Nick Kyrgios certainly does seem to to thrive in the team environment, and we saw one of those team environments this past week. Uh, tennis is getting these new types of events, and, and the Labor Cup now just had its, its third installment. I wonder if you had a chance to watch any of it, and what do you think of maybe these types of events and if they're going to have lasting power in our sport? Well, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if if Roger's event lasts past, past Roger playing. Um, you know, obviously, when you get arguably the most kind of universal, universal popular athlete on the globe playing three times in a weekend in his home country, and, um, you know, there, there's only so many times that he's going to be able to call his own number. Uh, you know, so I, I think the real, the real test will be kind of the post-Roger era of, of Labor Cup and post-Rafa era? Are they showing up for the individual players or are they showing up for the actual event? And I, I don't know if we know that answer yet, but heck, man, I mean, that, the excitement of the event is not disputable. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's super exciting when you're, when you're watching it and the, the players are all buying in and, uh, you know, it, it's almost made for social mediums with, with the Rafa coaching people. And, you know, it, it was, it, it's, it's great to see, um, you know, as far as staying power, I don't know, but it has pushed the envelope. You know, I, I feel like the the real disappointment on my end is, you know, Davis Cup had kind of control of, of of this lane for so long, and I feel like they blew it by not adjusting and not changing with the times. And you know, their argument for most things, well, that's the way we've always done it. I'm like, well, you know, you know, people used to go to Blockbuster Video too. <laughs> um, 
you know, so I, for me, I, I feel sad because, you know, Labor Cup's amazing. I saw that the top 10 guys in the world, plus Murray and his comeback, are playing the ATP Cup in January. And now Davis Cup is trying to find a lane that it used to own. Um, you know, so, so for me, who Davis Cup was such a big part of my career, I just look at it and I kind of shake my head at the, at the missed opportunity and maybe um, the stubbornness of, of that event. Yeah, and I, I certainly hope Davis Cup is valued the same way it used to be because it was one of the prized team events and country on country, I, I think, is awesome. Uh, staying on Federer and Nadal just for a second, and uh, you mentioned loving Medvedev and his fight reaching the U.S. Open final. I, I know as a former player, you can maybe ex- speak from a bit of experience on having faced all of them. Mentally, what is it really like sort of walking out on court knowing you're getting prepared for a Fed, a Nadal, or a Novak? Well, it, it matchups matter. You know, for me, the toughest matchup was obviously Roger. You know, he could hit that low chip to my backhand where I was just kind of scooping it and couldn't really attack it. Um, if Rafa, it was it was pretty straightforward. If If I was on something fast where I could get cheap points on my serve, then I felt like I had a shot if it was if it was, uh, you know, a slower court of clay, then it was it was uphill sledding uh, significantly. Um, and Novak, I actually had a pretty good record against. But um, it, it's just you you it's a, it's this fine line because uh, you feel like you maybe have to do things that are uncomfortable. Um, against Roth, I knew any time I had two feet underneath me, I had to take a swing at the ball because you have to play first strike tennis. If you get into extended rallies, it's just not going to work out uh, too often for you. Um, so it's adjusting a game. They make you kind of play outside of what you're comfortable with. And, oh, by the way, you're going to have to execute it for hours at a time. So there, there is a, a mental pressure that is kind of always there with those guys. You can't kind of hold serve, expect them to miss two or three balls, play a sloppy game. It doesn't work that way. You know, you kind of have to come up to goods um, for, uh, for an extended period of time, which which is tough, you know, how to do it. You know, everyone can talk about that, but actually stepping up and executing it is a, is a different story. Uh, somebody who's planning on coming back and, and trying to execute once again, a uh, great former player on the women's game, 36-year-old Kim Kleisters recently announced she was going to come out of retirement and play on the WTA Tour in 2020. And, and before you think you know where I'm going with this question, uh, because I, I can tell you're pretty comfortable uh, with where you're at in retirement and your career post-tennis, but were there moments after retirement as you made that transition in your life where you did it all think of maybe trying to come back and, and make another go of it? No, um, not really. Um, you know, I was, I was lucky. I had things to transition into uh, post-tennis, um, whether it's my foundation or, or, or business or, or, you know, family, um, giving my wife the best version of myself for a change and not being, you know, selfish with my career and kind of selfish in general, um, you know, so it was it, for me, I loved practicing with the guys who were still on tour and I loved playing sets against those guys in practice. And, you know, my ego was served, you know, trying to win sets then and kind of getting a, a, a maybe a little bit of a peek as to where I thought I would still be, um, you know, but I didn't need an audience for that. Um, you know, Kim, on the other hand, like every person that you, every WTA player that you hear of that plays her in an EXO or something is like, there's no chance she should not be on tour currently. Um, It's not a choice for me anymore, but um, you know, she was a, 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 she was a tournament director a couple of years ago at some event. 
uh, final, uh, one of the girls pulled out. She stepped in and said, hell, play an EXO and beat the girl who was in the final pretty handily. <laughs> um, so she, she still has that game. And Kim is one of the all-time great people. Um, you know, she wasn't scared on, you know, she, she won three slams after uh, Jada was born. It, that's something that I don't think it's talked about enough. Um, you know, and, and now she's kind of been raising her family for a while and coming back. But everything you hear kind of behind the scenes is that Kim Kleisters can still play really well. We talked earlier about how Johnny Mack is still playing at the age of 60. How, how much longer do you see yourself playing with these guys? And do you see any future involvement in tennis, maybe when the kids are older in terms of getting involved, either in a coaching capacity, commentating, or, or some sort of leadership role in the sport down the road? I don't know. Um, you know, it's hard to predict opportunity, right? You know, you're, you're asking me to be presumptuous about the opportunities that will be, uh, will still be there. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I enjoy being a fan. I don't need to uh, attend every event and, you know, kind of be in the scene. And, you know, those weren't my favorite parts about the game. Um, you know, so it, I, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I did some commentary for BBC. I enjoyed it, but am I willing to be away, uh, you know, from my family for a couple of weeks to, to sit in a box and watch someone do what I used to do? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, it's, it's hard for me to predict the future. Um, the, the hard thing about tennis is, is that, you know, geography stops for no one. You have to go to the tennis tour um, in, in whatever capacity, whether it's commentating or coaching um you know a leadership role would would be interesting i feel like maybe it's not as as uh, geographically in, intensive uh as, as as maybe some of the other things but um i don't know I, I love it but i don't feel that need to be around it all the time um you know i'm, I'm happy watching from a distance i love watching some of the young players it's i mean you, you all have to be going nuts with what's going on in canada right now on the, on the good side of things yeah to say we're um, happy is a bit of an understatement <laughs> yeah i mean but but that's but that's the fun part of it like i would rather watch you know shapovalov play uh felix in the first round and uh you know Andrescu kind of maybe looking like you know, the, the, the person who kind of takes the mantle here. Um, that's exciting to me seeing kind of the newer players, but you know, I, I can, I can watch that from, from, uh, from my couch or, or wherever I happen to be at that, at that time. Right on. Well, Andy, I, I'm sure uh, all of our Toronto tennis fans are so eager and so excited uh, to be watching you this coming Thursday at the Invesco series. We can't wait to see it as well. And uh, we look forward to hopefully chatting with you uh, then uh, in a few days. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on Matchpoint Canada today. Thanks, Andy. Guys, thanks for having me. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into Matchpoint Canada and our interview with Andy Roddick on our week off. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. We will speak with you then.